Hey guys, Rob here. The episode you're getting ready to listen to is one that I think has some pretty good material in it, but I did want to take a second and apologize. Why am I apologizing? Well, so here's the thing. Rick and I got up pretty early to record this episode because we thought, you know what, let's try to make sure that we get up before everyone else gets up and, and we're able to record this up so that there's no distractions, uh, no extra noises in the background. And yeah, Finley, my my amazing daughter, woke up early. She just had to wake up early that day. And so you, I just want to mentally prepare you guys. There's some distractions in this episode. You'll hear babies, you'll hear dog, you'll hear babies again. And at one point we even have to pause it because there's so much going on. So first off, just want to apologize for the distractions, but there's still some good material in there. So hopefully it's not too distracting. But second off, want to thank you guys for tuning in despite these consistent distractions. Um, yeah, I know there's a lot going on sometimes in episodes. So just want to thank you guys for your faithfulness to continue to tune in and listen to us rant and banter while there's some craziness going on in the background. So appreciate you guys. Hope you enjoy the app. Welcome to Simple Theology, a podcast connecting theology to everyday life by examining various doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm Robert Kane, And I'm Rick Roblick. And we are in Rick's new studio. We've recorded mm. a couple episodes um, last mm. couple weeks, mm. and they were from a new location, Rick's living room. And now we are in a new location. <laughs> Rick didn't buy another house. We know yeah, that ministry money is just flowing in more than what he can handle, but... The <laughs> new location is a newly designed, put together, tidied up office. Um, the only thing that's true on that is the new part. Um, it's just one of the rooms I'm drinking to, kind of like our office. It's newly designed. It, it's in the process of being newly designed. Mm. Highly unorganized, highly um, books everywhere boxes everywhere yeah which i mean that's part of the process of moving but i had most of it put together and then someone gave me a tv and that's why i decided to mount it and um rob's taking a picture taking a picture so if you see this picture i'm talking about it right now um put that and, on our instagram uh, yeah put that on the gram this is apparently that's what we have to do we have to stay up to date on social media Dude, listen stop complaining <laughs> about it no i'm actually kind of enjoying it good good propagating your doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. So, Propaganda. Uh, you done talking about your new fancy office? Mm, I need a bookshelf. Yeah, I need yeah you, a, do. I do you do. Need, you got a lot of books on your desk. I'm stacked up. I need a, a, a tall bookshelf probably over there. Yep. Um, That'd be helpful. Yeah. That's about it. That's Sounds it. like you might need a little WD-40 on that chair. Get this chair. It's old. I can tell. Older than me. Older than you. This chair. Was from my dad's chair when he was owned a construction company. Do you good for him, Rick? Mm. That guy. No. Tell you what. Okay, so what are we talking about today? How are we doing this confessions and creeds thing? Well, um, that's a good question. So as you remember from last episode, which I'm sure everyone listened to. I'm sure. Positively sure. We talked about 
confessions and creeds and even dabbled with a little bit of the councils that brought, brought out some of these creeds and stuff. Um, and the idea that they help us to think through doctrine and make yeah. sure we're, we are orthodox, we're not into the ditch on some things. So this morning, we want to kind of go through four different confessions of faith um, from different traditions, and we're going to talk about their first one. Almost all confessions open up with the scripture, talking about their stance on the scripture, um, which is pretty good because if you don't start there, you got yeah, nowhere else then to the go. rest of where you're pulling from, um, all the other topics that you're talking about and you're putting Bible verses to mm-hmm. say this is where we get it, it can all be undermined if you don't first establish your view of the scriptures. Which, so before we even mm-hmm. go ahead and say what you're going to say, because I know I'm going to say it's interesting. We talked about this last episode, but it's interesting that people will. They'll be like, hey, I'm just a person in the book. I don't deal with these things. No creed but with then, the Bible, baby. But then they start out like, like a, a, a good confession just clearly um, elevates Scripture above all things and talks yeah. about the need for Scripture. And that's why like that's why we're going through this confession is because this thing is supreme and ultimate. Yeah. So it's like this. And when you say this thing, you mean? Scripture. Scripture, yeah. So, okay. Something that would be helpful before we get mm. going would be you describing a little bit the difference between a creed yeah. and a confession. Yeah, so I came across this um, idea, um, article, I should say, on Zondervan Academic. And this guy's. Zondervan. Uh, take it, I'm leaving, you know. Anyway. <laughs> they produce a lot of great stuff. Yeah. But they also produce a lot of wacky stuff. Who does it these days, huh? Crossway. Mm, you sure about that? I'm pretty sure about that. You ever, have you heard of Crossway Underground? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'll tell you. There's a domain name to purchase. <laughs> That's right. Um, so anyway, so uh, the guy was kind of dividing up creeds, confessions, and even catechisms, and uh, explaining their usefulness, and talked about how creeds really served kind of as the outer ring. A dividing between orthodox and heresy. So if you're in, it's broad enough that if you're in, you're orthodox, right? There's a lot of room there. But if you're outside of these creeds, you are in heresy. And so we talk about the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, um, Chalcedonian yep. Creed, I think, and uh, Athanasian Creed. So there's, there's some more, but those are like the famous ones, right? And then he talked about so the creeds are that big circle. Either you're in or you're out. But inside that big circle of orthodoxy, we have some confessions, and these are um, denomination or certain just kind of tribe or theological bent kind of uh, confessions that so, draw other circles. Um, so, so it's kind of like if you're this, the creeds determine whether or not you're in the house, whether you're going to live here in this camp called Christianity. You do marry Christianity? Am I? I think so. I, I actually haven't read that book. Maybe oh, it's a good illustration. It means CS. It's from Zondervan. Um, stop it. <laughs> but then the confessions will kind of say like, okay, what, what part of the house what do you live in? What room are you in? Yeah, yeah. what room? What, yeah, right. upstairs, downstairs? Are you in the room on the far left? Are you in the room far yeah. You get the point. Yeah, so who's in, who's in the basement in, in the house theologically on this one? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to get right. Anyway. Just go. <laughs> so so uh, big circle, conf- creed, um, inside that are different confessions. Right, and these are kind of like the muscles. So the the bone is the the creed; it's the anchoring structure. And then we put onto that the flesh of the confessions, um, and then what a, a catechism. And we talked 
briefly about this. It's it's to, to be catechized or uh, uh, go through catechism. And if you're if you have a, a um, an Episcopalian or, a, or even a Catholic, uh, maybe a Lutheran background, you're you're much more familiar with this. Um, it's the idea of just like learning a phrase and then reciting the answer, kind of to learn how you are supposed to live day to day. So it's the practical, it's the walking out, yeah. the practical outflow of your confession and creed. And we, we want to eventually take Finley through a catechism. And so these things are really helpful just for discipleship. They're really helpful for staying for within you, the bounds of orthodoxy. Which oh, book you is had it? that book. Is it the New City Catechism? It's the Old City Catechism. Mm, the Old City. The New City is updated. So the we have the New City Catechism. And for those of you who don't know what that is, there is no old city catechism. Don't go try and find it. Rick was being dumb. It's better. It's better than the new <laughs> one. <laughs> um, but essentially what it is, is, is they have the this these question and answers, and then they have the um, full answer. If I slide answer. this, make noise. I don't know. Just go for it. Um, and then they have the full answer, and then they have the kid's answer highlighted in a slightly different color. So it's still essentially the main answer, but the full answer is a little bit more robust, a little bit more... Um, wordy, nicely done. Dude, I was doing so well. You were, you were doing great. But the then the kid's answer is just going to be a shorter one, a little bite size that helps kind of disciple your children. And so that's the one that we'll probably end up taking Finley through. We got it for a really good price at the T4G conference. And you said you're starting that next month with her? We've or? already started it. Okay. Yeah, we're 13 questions deep. <laughs> she doesn't know how to speak full sentences, but she's getting all the answers right. Did she say two words? Yeah, she says, where is he or where is she really well? Um, and she'll say names pretty well. She's a brainiac. That's kids. We'll see. So, so an, an Go example, ahead and read a sample one. Yeah. Um, question. What is our only hope in life and death? Answer. That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what is the kids' version? So go ahead and shut that. Let me see. The highlighted portion is a kid's answer. Oh, yeah. So um, here's one. What does God require in the ninth and tenth commandments? Answer. Ninth, that we do not lie or deceive. Tenth, that we are content in not envying anyone. Was that the kids one or is that the full one? That's the kids. You have to do the full one and then you have to then say the kids one so people can see the difference. Okay. This is getting more in depth than I thought. I just wanted to read a sample question. a difficult task. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. I did it. <laughs> what else does Christ's death redeem? Full answer. Thank you. Christ's death is the beginning of the redemption and renewal of kid part. Every part of fallen creation. End of the kid part. And has and as he powerfully directs all things for his own glory and creation's good. Okay, that, that was the full. Yeah, Rob, okay, that's that. You, you, right, you botched it. That's okay. You, want, you read the kid part like out of nowhere. No, so let me I, check. I, let me no, check. Let me check. Hold on, uh, calm down. I read it right out of it, just like you told me to. I know, you're supposed to read the full thing, and uh -huh. then you're supposed to reread it on just the highlighted portion. I'm sorry, where that's were the, the instructions part. on that? They're right in the beginning of the book. I don't see, I didn't read the instructions, I just well, read the Well, it's your own fault for not knowing how to read your own catechism that you bought. I do know how to read it. <laughs> I read it all the way through. Okay, let's move on. Let's Ron, move you on. Want to talk? You guys should check out the New City Catechism. And actually, you can download the app. I think they have an app for it. Totally free. Um, really well done. Are you a, are you a read all this instructions kind of guy anyway? I don't tend to be. I don't tend to be. Unless it's something that I'm like really, really into. Or the instructions are really short. 
but no, I don't. I don't tend to read the instructions. What you looking at? What you looking at? I'm just trying to find the instructions. There's a lot in here. <laughs> it's pretty easy. If you download the app, guys, you'll be able to get it. And they're not sponsoring us or anything, and we're giving them a lot of airtime. Mm. So that's a catechism. Helps disciple your children or disciple yourself. It's a really helpful tool. And this book, it just looks nice if you just throw it out on a little coffee table or something. Rob, what's this book? It's the New City Catechism. No, like 52 questions and answers from our mo- from our hearts and minds. But, like, I mean, how's it... When you set it on the coffee table, what's it oh, like? Oh, yeah. Rick thinks I use this, <laughs> this term a lot, so I'll use it for him Dude, just to you do, scratch that itch. Don't but you think so? This book, as well as the app, are very aesthetically pleasing. Do you think you don't use that word a lot, that phrase? I think I use it. I wouldn't say a lot. However, however, I tried to say it last night be- to bring it up to Rick, <laughs> and I couldn't even say it. No, you I said kept, something else. I said athletically pleasing. <laughs> <laughs> don't know how to even talk granted it's pretty late okay but anyway let's continue on confessions and creeds today we're going to talk about um we're looking at four different ones okay and these are some the two are just some really big daddies in terms of confessions the 1689 london baptist confession mm-hmm. of faith and the 1647 westminster confession of faith these two are arguably um the most popular, would you say that? Or the most well-known, especially the Westminster. So when you see Presbyterian churches, Presbyterian institutions called Westminster, um, a lot of it comes back to this. So this, these statement of faith, they're huge. They're robust. There's a lot there. And then we're also looking at two Baptist ones. My current personal favorite is the 1858 Abstract of Principles. And then we're also going to look at the 1833 New Hampshire confession both of those are ones that i am a really big fan of i I, don't get me wrong i love the london baptist confession rick even got me a really nice leather bound version of the 1689 it's like a pocket version and i can just put it in my pocket and catechize himself with it catechize myself with it yeah exactly so i i you'll like this rick i was twice now i've done this Uh where i was pumping gas i just pulled this thing out of the back of my pocket started reading a couple paragraphs just right there, quick and easy. Oh, I like really it, man. Nice. On the, on so the, the London is and the Westminster. Keep it in your back pocket. Not every day, but if I don't have it in my back pocket, it's in my bag or it's in, on the dash of my car. Somewhere close by. Yeah. So um, the London Baptist and the Westminster are really robust. The Westminster is Presbyterian. The London Baptist is obviously Baptist. But even though these are beautiful, beautiful confessions, it's. I can't say that I full-fledged subscribe to the London Baptist Confession because of how much is in it. There's just little things here and there that I would take a little bit of an exception with. So maybe we can cover those things in later episodes as we go through the topics. But today, the topic we're going over is the scriptures. And there's actually a portion of the London Baptist that I would I would probably not totally agree with. And maybe we can, we can cover that. But... I'm going to read the abstract of principles and then because it's a it's the shortest one but I think it does a really good job and then we'll just talk about a couple highlights from each of these so we're not going to read the full topic for all of these otherwise we'd be here for like 20 minutes just reading because the London Baptist and the Westminster are really long well I'm just going to point out a couple things um the abstract of principles is the one that we probably are most 
not completely, but closely, most closely aff- affiliated to. Yeah, I just appreciate the most or, and adhere to the most. Anyway, so that there's 20 points in that, 20 kind of different things they hit on. Whereas um, the London, Second London Baptist Confession of 1689, there's 32 points or, or even like chapters. I mean, there's like the main thing and then there's like point, several sub-points. Yeah, so like for instance, three to, just, to just in this one, right? And, and just... In the Westminster, there's 33 chapters. Oh, and so, I mean, they just can get really, really lengthy. So just in this one, in just, chapter one mm-hmm. of the 1689, there's 10 sub-chapters or sub-points. Yeah. All of them are longer than what the 1858 Abstract Principles says in their entire version. Yeah. So the thing that I love about the Abstract, the thing that I love about the New Hampshire, is that they're specific enough to make a clear statement that this is where we stand mm-hmm. within the bounds of orthodoxy. This is what we believe about this topic. And yet they're, I think Finley just woke up, and then they're broad enough to have liberty of conscience right. within orthodoxy. Which they talk about. Yeah, it's one of the points. So, long. so okay, I'm going to read the 1858 Abstract of Principles, and then Rick, if you want to go ahead and point out a highlight after that, that would be great. Mm-hmm. So, chapter one. On the scriptures. The scriptures of the Old and New Testaments were given by inspiration of God and are the only sufficient, certain, and authoritative rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Mm. So there's obviously like a, a lot of theology packed into that one piece. Uh, but I just pulled that we talked about the inspiration of God and believing that, that scripture is not man made it was inspired by uh, God as he saw fit to lay out his plan into man. And, and so one, we, we have this, Rob's going to pull up a couple of proof texts for this. Oh, yeah. But also, we see this in the beginning of the Gospel of John. I mean, the Word was with God, the Word was God. It was this inspiration for the, the Scripture by God himself. It's his Word to his people. So if you if you remove that that element out of um, your theology, and that's why, again, all these start with this point, because if you remove that piece out, then the whole thing crumbles. I mean, there's nothing for the rest of Scripture to stand on. And so that's why we are, are, are very um, serious about how our take on the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture and our view on these things. Um, and, and we don't just hold on to them because if, we, if you take it out, Logically, the whole thing falls apart. We we hold to it because it's true. It's proven true. Yeah. Um, you got those. I do. So the first one is Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, which many of you may have memorized in the past. But it says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." So all Scripture is breathed out. All scripture is profitable, even Leviticus, even Numbers. When you're yeah. going through your your Bible reading plan, you come through those and you're like, man, I don't know how in the world this applies to me today or how this is helpful, how mm-hmm. this is profitable. All scripture is profitable. That is the promise. They may not all be equally profitable. So for instance, just throwing random ones out here, Leviticus 18 may not be quite as profitable for your soul as Romans 8 However, they are all profitable. So uh, that is a wonderful promise to hold. But then also 2 Peter 1, uh, verses mm-hmm. nine, starting verse 19. And we have the prophetic word 
more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we see Peter saying there, that, hey, look, even, even in the early church, he's saying, look, no prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man. But they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's saying very clearly, we did not make any of this up. Not me, not the other apostles, not the prophets before us. None of it is made up. It's not by our will, but it's us being carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit speaking. It's God speaking through his Holy Spirit to us, and we're just writing it down. This isn't yeah. our invention. Well, and, and the, I mean, we could talk for days about the significance of that, right? Like, the significance is literally everything. Um, and I'm using that word literally, quite literally. literally. <laughs> we had a conversation last night about how people, people will say, like, literally, this is killing me. It's yeah. like, no, it's like no, they, no, just, no, no. they just take the, the most, um, the complete opposite word. Yeah. And it's just like, no. It's literally the wrong word. Tell, Rob, you want to share your... Yeah, there, there's just an instance where I was reading, I was reading an email and someone was talking about something going on and they said, yeah, they're making us literally cannibalize each other. Like, no, 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 no. Please, I, I hope you didn't mean li- literally there. I really hope you didn't mean literally Should I there. Call the police? Because if so, I'm not coming over there and sitting next to you. Um, but figuratively is a great word to use. Figuratively, yeah. But literally, this is is um, crucial to everything. So I'm going to pull out a couple things as we look at the, the 1833 New Hampshire um, it talks about this, and it, it talks about how the Word reveals the principles by which God will judge us. And so it's important, because if we believe it's it's the Word of God, and it's inerrant, and it's it's for us, and then it, it clearly says that we will be judged for certain um, lifestyles or behaviors or, or accepting Christ or not, then it's valid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's holding, it's um, the current standard. And that's the standard by which we'll be judged. So for us as followers of Christ, and also for all of humanity, to have a a scripture and say, okay, this is how the creator of the world is going to judge you. You need to take seriously what this says um, is super helpful. And it's important to remember that scripture does, it clearly shares or states how we will be judged at the end. and also, I just, something else I want to point out, it talks about how it's the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. So you see this, this dual thing where it's the standard by which God will judge us, but it's also the standard by which we should be judging and evaluating the world around us. We got a sound issue. <laughs> <laughs> Finley has, it's like, what is it? It's 7.30 here. Yeah, she woke up at that, like She woke up early, and she is downstairs roaming around the house. Yelling for me. When <laughs> you get some soundproofing on that door. Yeah. Let's <laughs> but, make that but happen. That, that idea of like the judge, you better get her. Oh my goodness. Okay. Let me go get her. The judge. Do, do we need to pause? Sure. Go ahead and pause it. Hit pause. Hey, we'll Guys, be we'll be right back. We're back. <laughs> Sorry about that. You guys like that transition whoosh? 
Um, I figured that'd be a nice way to let you guys know instead of it just being like us talking. We're, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking, and then we say we take a break, and we just keep keep talking again. We'll put a little transition mm. whoosh there. Transition whoosh. Transition whoosh. 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 Swoosh. Whoosh. 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 Um, and so, just like I was saying with with the New Hampshire, that there's the that the standard the scripture is a standard that we as believers need to also be judging and evaluating everything around us creeds confessions like those things but also relationships and all that stuff go through the the filter more or less of scripture yeah yep. so here's here's where the london and the westminster get to be really wonderful and it's also where it's, it's because of the same characteristic of these confessions why i'm probably not full-fledged why, why i'm not full-fledged in the 1689 camp mm. So again, just reiterate yeah, as, a, as a Baptist, yeah, as a Baptist, the 1689 is the most robust confession that we have. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful confession, and I like am really encouraged when people say, "Yeah, I hold to the 1689," because that means they've thought through their confession. That means they've uh, thought about their theology. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, it means they thought through their theology. It means that they. She's saying dada. I know she. she I'm, we're she gonna be done you. here soon. She wants. You. I know it's killing me. Is it literally? <laughs> it's literally <laughs> killing me. <laughs> yeah. But the people who ascribe to the 1689, they they are usually very theologically robust individuals. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it. But where they get really detailed um, is where they gain a lot of people. And it's also where they may lose some people. So in this particular instance, or vice versa, they lose a lot of people and probably gain some. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So in this particular instance, I'm really grateful for the particularities of this portion of Mm. the first chapter. This is, um, the third point under chapter one. And they address something that the 1833 New Hampshire and the abstract does not Mm -hmm. address. However, it's things that people who ascribe to those confessions would agree with. Right, but it just doesn't go into that much But they just don't detail. go into that much detail. Yeah. So here we go. It says this. The books, commonly called Apocrypha, not being of divine inspiration, Catholics, are no part of the canon or rule of Scripture, and therefore are of no authority to the Church of God, nor to be any otherwise approved or made use of than other human writings. I was really stumbling through that. Um, so what they're saying is that the book's called Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. They're not of divine inspiration. So therefore, because they're not the words of God, they don't have the authority in the church that the other words of God have, such as scripture and only scripture. Mm-hmm. So these books are to be uh, not approved in such a way that it is on the same level as scripture but they're supposed to be looked at um, as any other human writings, yeah. is what it says. Mm-hmm. So, really appreciate that they put that there. Like, hey, we are um, making this confession of faith, and we are making a statement that if you're going to be in our camp, you have to understand that the Apocrypha, it's although it can be helpful, out. although it, we can learn things from it, although it can help us understand church history in various ways. <laughs> Dude, we can't escape these little extra noises. Yeah, take his color off. Um, although all those things are true, it's not the word of God. And so we are separating ourselves from the Catholics, uh, from Roman Catholics, letting them know that we disagree with their view of the Apocrypha. And a lot of this, what you'll find is that if you look at the uh, London Baptist Confession, mm-hmm. 
And then if you look at the Westminster, yeah, they're almost carbon copies of each other. Yeah, carbon. Carbon. Um, so they, what happened was the Westminster, the Presbyterians, came up with this beautiful confession in, what was it, 1647? And then the Catholics, Catholics, the Baptists, not the Catholics. Same thing. The Baptists um, came out with theirs, I think, in 1677. However, then they weren't allowed to publicly confess it and sign their names to it until, I think, 1688. Maybe it was 1689. But that that year, the year after, if it was 1688, uh, they all publicly signed it and affirmed this is what we believe. And so it came to be known as the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. So they took the Westminster and... Um, in my mind, updated it, made it better mm-hmm. by putting a Baptist twist on it, by saying, hey, we don't agree with paedo-baptism. We don't agree with synods and councils, uh, but the theological stuff is pretty strong. So, Cool. Yeah. So this is another point, if you want to talk about it with the London Baptist. Um, Ooh, yeah. Go ahead. You can run with that. Uh, I'm not sure where you're going, but I'll read it for you. Read the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the scripture itself and therefore when there is a question about the true and full sense of any scripture it must be searched by other places that speak more clearly so it's a simple doctrine or principle you interpret scripture with scripture yes that scripture can speak for itself it doesn't need an extra biblical thing to to bring weight to it or meaning you interpret a passage with the rest of Scripture, which clearly indicates, A, that all Scripture is a narrative tied together, and it's all flowing t- to the same main point, and that's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, yeah, so when you have a question about a passage, mm-hmm. don't just sit there and say, oh, wow, it says here that God wants everyone to be saved, and then it says over here that God elects some, and so, like, clearly there's a contradiction because if God's all-powerful, then he would just select everybody if he wants everybody to be saved. Well, you have to understand that Scripture interprets Scripture. Mm. So you have to look at more than just that portion. You look at the whole context and to help you better understand these passages that may, from the outset, look like a contradiction. If you read it in context, understand what's mm-hmm. happening there, you can see how they come together and they can better interpret each other rather than yes. butt heads against each other. There you go. I'm going to just finally point, pull out a, pa- a portion of the Westminster, the 1647 Westminster Confession of Faith. And this is how it begins as it starts about talking about Scripture. It says, Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave man inexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that, that knowledge of God? And of his will, which is necessary for salvation. So this is, we, we see this play out in Romans 1, 20, that, that God clearly reveals himself in his creation. Um, however, we also, it's only through Christ that those people find life. So it, it's this, um, and Wayne Grudem has a, a really good way of kind of laying this out in his systematic theology, but just talks about, there's an, everyone in the world has enough knowledge to be guilty. But without Christ, you don't have enough knowledge to be saved. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it, what I what I found really interesting about the Westminster's Confession is that it, it begins with that portion. It's talking about Scripture, but it, it begins with the fact everyone's guilty, and the only way to be justified is through Christ, and the only way to do that is through Scripture. 
Yeah. So it, it it's beginning not saying scripture supreme or scripture it, we believe it's orthodox or it's 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 just saying it's the only way. Yeah. And then it goes to defend it and all that stuff. Yeah. Romans fourteen. Faith comes through hearing and hearing from the words of Christ. Like this. So it's it's making a really good point that yes, mm-hmm. nature, the creation, uh, Psalm nineteen, the heavens declare the glory of God. Like right. that, all of that is enough to make anybody guilty for rebelling against a God. There's enough evidence out there that there is a creator, that there is a God who's designed this, and so therefore there's enough evidence in his creation to hold you guilty for rebelling against him. Mm-hmm. Yet, in nature alone, there's not enough evidence to bring saving faith. Mm-hmm. So we need the word. We need to hear the gospel message and to embrace it. So, so here's a thought on that. Um, we know that God can reveal himself, Christ, to, to anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, some tribe in Papua New Guinea or, yeah. you know, somewhere in Saharan Africa. I mean, the Lord can yeah. reveal. So so it's not necessarily God, you know, if, if you, if you, if there's no scripture in your language or there's not a, a missionary or believer in that land that, that those people will never hear. There, there, there's no chance because God clearly can reveal himself. I mean, yeah. he's done it again and again. However, his main tool or his main method is the church. Yeah. Sharing the gospel, living out the gospel, sharing it with someone else, helping them live it out, sharing it with some. So you're seeing churches just sharing and propagating the gospel. And that's the main way that, that God has designed the spread of his good news, right? Yeah. And so as believers saying, hey, there are people who who are guilty because they they see Christ in creation or see God in creation. Um, yet they don't have the message, they don't have the gospel. Like we that should create great impetus and, and a burden really for the for the church and for believers to um, go to or support missions in unreached and unknown areas. Yeah, that, that's why... Or areas that have not received the gospel. Yeah, that's why the Reformed tradition, that's why Calvinists in general tend to have been the most zealous missionaries in the past. Mm-hmm. And so these, um, even though the New Hampshire was kind of created in a way to say like, hey, even non-Calvinists can be in, it's more open than these other ones in that um, it is still like classically trust in God's providence type uh, confession. So these... But- Oh, so hold on, let me, let me make this point. Yeah, make your point. So, okay. because we see that there is enough in creation to make anyone guilty, we then feel the urgency to go out there and to share the gospel and to proclaim the word. Because when we say that um, there's enough in creation to make anybody guilty, but that but they need to hear the words of Christ, need to hear the gospel to be saved. That exactly what you said, Rick. That raises a good point. That you. Just because the culture doesn't have maybe God's written word in their language doesn't mean nobody from there will be saved. And so I, I need to go another layer deep here and further explain go. that go for it, baby. That before the printing press, mm. all of God's word was heard. So there was like one copy maybe of the scriptures per per town or per, per church, whatever it was. And and the the minister would share that and the people would hear it. And they would meditate on it and they would think about it. But people didn't have very many copies of the word just sitting around their house like we do today or on their phones, obviously. So 
we see that just because they don't have the word in their language doesn't mean they still can't hear the word. And so that's why we send missionaries to share the gospel that is found in the word. That's why, um, so I was talking about earlier, right? Mm -hmm. The areas in which I I slightly disagree with the London Baptists and the Westminster here is where they say, uh, therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will to his church and afterwards uh, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, can you scroll down? Um, Truth of, there we go. Preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the scroll on the next page church against the corruption of the flesh and the mouth of satan and of the world to commit the same holy to writing which makes the holy scripture to be most necessary those former this is the portion those former ways of god's revealing his will to his people being now ceased mm, so this ways. is this is the westminster and this is the london saying we are cessationists mm-hmm. we do not believe the miraculous gifts continue on today so they were there to affirm the gospel message. Mm-hmm. The gospel message has now been put in writing. We have it. It's been affirmed. Therefore, the miraculous gifts of tongues, prophecy, healing, those things are ceased. And if you listen to an episode that Rick and I did a while back, I forget the name of it, but it's essentially on the miraculous gifts. Mm-hmm. There's a really great quote from John Frame's book, um, The Doctrine of God. Mm-hmm. And that would be essentially the position that that I'd take when it comes to how we view the gifts, that the um, extraordinary leads to the ordinary. Prepares for the ordinary, yeah. Yeah, so, therefore, because I'm a semi-continuationist or a cautious continuationist, <laughs> however you want to phrase that, I can't fully ascribe to that portion of the confession. Mm. So, therefore, that that's what, what I'm saying, is that even though there are areas in which where they may not have the word, mm. yet they're still guilty because creation has enough evidence yeah we feel all the more urgency to get the word of god to them us mm-hmm. even if that means us audibly sharing it or audible right. resources being provided it doesn't mean that no one can be saved before a printed version of the bible is right. put in their hands but we emphasize the importance of the word to bring about salvation to bring about um the understanding of the gospel and that god uses that maybe and now now i'm going to be pressing a little bit on the cessationist toes. Maybe God reveals himself to someone there in a dream. We've heard tons of amazing yeah. missionary stories and cessationists would be like, ah yeah, well they're made up, whatever. So Tell that to the to the to the converts. That's the thing. <laughs> I, I don't think that Satan would make something up like that to bring somebody to salvation. Like I just don't think that that's how Satan is operating. That's not his game plan to destroy Dang us. It, I messed up on that yeah. one. And so God revealing himself to some of these people, maybe it's in a dream. But it doesn't mean that the dreams are going to continue and this person's always going to have dreams. It's like, hey, I'm doing this extraordinary thing to mm-hmm. lead you to the ordinary faithful practice of following me. Yeah. Good stuff. I was going to say something earlier, and it's just a small correction, in that it it wasn't until, I think, William Carey, who, who was the first missionary of the London Baptist Mission Society. Bill Carey. Oh, Bill. Billy Carey. Um, <laughs> and, he, and he was the first, they call him the father of modern missions. I don't Father Bill. Father Bill had many missionaries. But until that point in the mid-1700s, the Reformed people, the Calvinists, were not mission-minded. They would say, if God wants them, he can go get them. That's like the hyper-Calvinist position they take today. 
Well, not right. not not all Calvinists, right. but like but the hyper Calvinists that we would disagree with. In church history, from Reformation up till you know mid seventeen hundred, so a couple hundred years. So it's kind of like, well, God's going to, do? and then then William Carey's looking around, and the Catholics are going out, and they're sending people out to the unreached people. He's like, wait, wait, wait. Like if if what Scripture says is true, then we need to like get behind this and share it with everyone. Hmm. And so then he went to um, India, Calcutta. And I mean, he a lot of stuff happened there, but anyway, that that idea comes from the the impetus in Scripture that it is the only way to God, and that it's supreme. Yeah. And we'll be judged by it. So um, that should again push us, and and maybe we're, we're flowing in application. I don't know, but the re, the the holiness, the sacredness, and the. Um, this is not a good way of saying it, but just the realness of Scripture, that it is, we will face judgment. It is the standard. It reveals everything we need to know about who God is and how to have a relationship with Him, how to be involved in His bride, the church. We need to take all those things very seriously. And I'll be the first to confess that there's times when I'll read it, I'm like, okay, I agree with it. But then that doesn't, my lifestyle doesn't follow that. Yeah. And, and that's a problem. Yeah. We're almost at 40 minutes. Let's so let's wrap this bad boy. But that's, that's what with a bow on it. Yeah, that's what these four confessions talk about when it comes to the scriptures. All of them affirm that they are from they're from God, that they are the divine rule of mm-hmm. uh, faith and practice, and they are inerrant. They're infallible, and um, I would say I was going to say they all say that scripture interprets scripture. They don't, but everyone who ascribes to them would affirm that. Yeah. Would they? Do you yeah. know everyone who ascribes? Do you? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. But uh, anyway, yeah. So, so in the coming episodes, we'll talk more about the different kind of points in these things, and you know, so there's like God and Trinity, and the election, and the fall of man, and that um, regeneration. You don't so these things, them. I'm just they're they're gonna touch on these things, um, and there's some that touch on a whole lot more. And we talked about these. Creeds and confessions, so we'll talk some about creeds as well, and we'll kind of dig into those things and see how they go. But appreciate you guys, and um, until next time, peace. peace. Rob, you want to say anything? No, I'm waiting for Mike. All right, see you, Rob. You-